It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. All right, everybody. My guest today is a former Marine, has spent over 20 years of experience in human resources and leadership development. He works as an adjunct professor at Grand Canyon University, where he teaches strategic management. And he's currently working on his PhD in organizational psychology to further his passion for helping people thrive in the workplace. And during his downtime, he likes to spend time with his 11-year-old son, which is awesome. He is William Roy. William, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I know uh, I had been working with you and following you a little bit on LinkedIn and seemed like we had a lot of shared experiences and perspectives. So I, I definitely wanted to get you on the show and, and pick your brain a little bit all about the topic of leadership development. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Good. So like I mentioned, you know, passionate about leadership and education and, and leadership education in particular. Were there any specific work experience that you had that kind of put you on the path to study and care so much about leadership and, and coaching? There was, you know, I've been involved in the training world, the HR world, mostly with training uh, most of my career, but there was one experience in particular that really ignited the passion for leadership development. And that started in 2013. And I had just earned my second bachelor's degree. Um, it was in accounting, which seems weird for an HR person, but, um, and they hired me as a property accountant and I worked that role for about 20 months. It didn't take me long to figure out that it wasn't really for me, that the routine of the accounting world bored me to death. <laughs> you know, I have nothing respect for the people that do it and do it well, but it just wasn't for me. So luckily I got promoted in that company to what they called the National Accounting Performance Director. Big long title for the accounting trainer. So the problem was that for 12 years, they had had a problem with turnover. It had ranged anywhere from 50% to 70 to 75% per year. And so that was kind of my main goal to get a handle on that. So I had to design the training program and facilitate it, uh, the development plan. So what each level needed to master in order to go to the next level, um, as well as onboarding. And then I also designed a leadership development program. The end result of all that was within 18 months, I got their turnover down to 3%. Wow. So then around that time, after about 20 months or so, just short of two years, the senior VP of finance said, okay, we've got a handle on it. The managers can handle it now. So we're gonna move you into another position and give the money that I budgeted for your salary to somebody else. I'm like, okay. What can you do? Uh, well, I watched them and over the next two years, their turnover, the last I checked, because I still had access to the data, was 73%. Right back where it started. Right. And I thought about that a lot. And I'm like, why didn't it stick? Why didn't what I built and put in place keep going? And what I came up with was that I spent a lot of time with the employees, especially new hires, but I didn't spend quite enough time with the leadership. And because I didn't spend enough time with the leadership and getting especially senior leadership on board with it, um, 
And I will say like the mid-level managers were very upset that they eliminated my position, but senior leadership, because they weren't on board with it, because they didn't embrace it, because it didn't become part of their culture that they could pass down to the organization, it didn't stick. Hmm. And so that is where the real shift happened in me that, okay, I need to focus on leaders and leadership development, because if we can get the right leaders and equipped leaders in place, then it's going to benefit the entire organization. And it just goes out to all the stakeholders, customers, vendors, everybody. That makes total sense. I think that in the accounting field, I've, I've had that experience myself sometimes. In a lot of the technical fields, we tend to focus on the technical aspects of the role. Like what does it really take to do the job? But kind of overlook the people part. And that's where I think a lot of the challenges set in. So when you found those turnover issues, you know, a lot of it comes down to the leadership really embracing the people aspects of the business. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, you end up as you rise in the ranks of an accounting firm or any firm, a lot more of your day to day is spent on the people matters, as opposed to the technical matters, just by definition. Right. So I think it's, it's really important to get that buy in, like you said, and really say, hey, look, you know, at this level, we really need to focus on the people skills, if we're going to retain all these great uh, talent that we're, that we're, that we're hiring. Yeah. And what was interesting is I started asking the managers because I still had relationships with them. Why are people leaving? And they, the response I got more often than not was because they're lazy. They don't want to work. Like, they didn't go and take another job because they don't want to work. Right. It's probably a better answer. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, you hire people and you, you have this great uh, honeymoon period where they first starting to work. But then as, as the reality of the culture sets in and how the organization, what it truly values, you know, sometimes you can realize, oh, my gosh, I've made a horrible mistake here. And, uh, you know, but, but what a dramatic difference going from 70 percent turnover down to three percent. You know, that, that's that's having an impact, obviously. So, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty impressive. And you can understand why the people who are closest to those frontline workers, you know, the mid-level managers, as you said, are like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is having an impact. Let's keep doing this. But those who aren't as close to it maybe don't appreciate it the same way. Right, right. Because if a trainer's not there, then the manager has to take time out of their day to do it. They didn't want to do that. Now, it is a common uh, practice or phenomenon, I guess I would say, that with any type of leadership, with any type of development, leadership development being no exception, there is a tendency for training to wear off if we don't put it into practice. What are some of the reinforcement techniques that you'd recommend? Like, let's say we're working with an enlightened organization, the leadership team is bought in, but they're saying, you know what, we're going to put people through some training. How do we make it stick? Are there some things that uh, from an education perspective, we can do to make sure leadership development actually does stick? Yeah. So I differentiate between leadership training and leadership development, because most leadership development programs are heavy on the training, the leadership teaching. So like teaching you how to have a difficult conversation. And if you don't have difficult conversations, that's going to wear off, right? Teaching all these leaders, but development is a whole different ball game. And you I think what we're missing in the whole learning, most learning development programs and departments are missing is a sophisticated understanding of how adults develop over time, or at least can develop over time. And if you don't understand that, because it's a difference between two types of challenges, there's technical challenges and there's adaptive challenges, technical challenges, not necessarily easy, but they're straightforward. We know how to we know how to teach it. We know how to address it. We know how to do it. It's like one example is if you have a doctor who's a specialist in one field but doesn't know how to remove an appendix, 
we have we know how to remove an appendix. He can be trained. He's already got the surgical skills. He can be trained to do that. That's a technical issue. That's the easiest way to solve problems. But an adaptive problem, which goes into more behavioral, is more about mindset and how you make meaning in the world. And I think unless we start to address those adaptive issues more thoroughly in our leadership, um, the training's not going to stick if it's not practiced every day. And when you say mindset, is that kind of like a, like a growth mindset that people can change and, and, and master new skills and develop new things? Is that the type of mindset we're it, talking about or something slightly different? A slightly different because it goes into um, how people make meaning in the world. It goes mm -hmm. into um, another topic a little bit, but that constructive development and how how people both hear and communicate with the world based on how they make meaning. Gotcha. Understood. Yeah. So, so now we've got this, this uh, leadership team, they're bought in, they're wanting to actually do real development, not just leadership training with their people and they want to make it stick. So now they're developing that fundamental understanding that it, the mindset has to shift, understanding how meaning is made, that constructive development term that you used. And, uh, and so then the next question that I'd have is like, who's leadership development really appropriate for? Is it really, is there a certain tenure you need to get to before it's like, okay, now it's time to go do development because this entry level stuff is so basic or where do you really look in the organization when you're like, this is where leadership development should, should begin? Um, that's a great question. And I think partially it depends on the level of leadership. Um, but so, I mentioned adult development. So there's three levels or plateaus of adult development. The first one is actually, I saw that one of them, you had a guest talk about it on one of your podcasts. Um, the, the lowest level is called the socialized mind. And to the socialized mind, the importance is belonging, being part of the group. So the group determines your ethics, your values, um, how you look at the world. And so if, if, if the group says that you should look at this topic in a certain way, that's how you're going to do it. You're going to conform yourself to their view. And so everything that you hear is filtered through the group's belief system. Everything that you communicate is filtered through that. It's kind of like the idea if you're in a, if you have a group that's trying to go somewhere and you're all going to go to the same place in the same car, you don't want to drive. You just want to be included in the car. So that's the lowest level. And 60% and of people by the most recent studies are at that at any one time. And those are international studies. So the next middle level is called the self-authoring self mind. So that's where the group's still important. But what's more important to you is your personal mission, the things, the goals you're trying to achieve. So you'll consider what the group wants, but if it doesn't align with your goals, then you're not going to listen to it. You're going to go a different way. And that's that's the driver of that car. So I'll talk about the highest level and then answer your question. The highest level is the self-transforming mind. The self-transforming mind can consider any idea. First of all, they realize that their most well-conceived idea is at best incomplete. At worst, it's a really bad idea. So they need input from other people. So they'll consider any other ideas. 
even ones that they absolutely despise, they open to hearing about it and drawing from it whatever they feel are good parts that will help their plan. Um, so that's the kind of person that you know has an open door, is willing to have any conversation about any topic. That's only 5% of the population at any one time. Mm. And the middle level is about 30. Um, that leaves about 5%, and those are the ones basically in transition from one level to another. So the socialized mind is great for simple jobs. Simple jobs where you have no autonomy, high level of supervision, you do one thing over and over and over and over, and that's it. I don't know if you can think of any jobs in our world like that. Increasingly, increasingly rare. <laughs> right. So, and it, now if you think about it, if most people are there, mm -hmm. they're not equipped for a complex job on a developmental level. So the middle, the self-authoring mind, no, yeah, self-authoring mind, that's great for most of your managers, mid-level managers, anything below executive. They have a more complex worldview. They can handle some, most of the leadership challenges that come to them. Um, and then the very highest level, the 5% is where we need our top leaders, our executives, our directors, things like that. And so if you think about it, if only 5% of your directors are at that level, that means 95% of your directors need help. They need development. So I think that the next question might be, how do we develop them? How do we get them to that next plateau? And it's what I call constructive confrontation. Hmm. And so say you're on a team, you're, you've had a project. Let's say you're trying to sell a new product to a customer. Everything was in place. You did your best and it failed. The customer said, no, thanks. I'm going with somebody else. So the constructive confrontation means we have to figure out what went wrong. And that goes down to the personal level. So if I'm on the team, I'm like, okay, what did I do that caused us to fail? That's a hard thing for people to ask. It takes a lot of self-awareness, right? And then what can I do to minimize the likelihood of that ever happening again? So you do that on an individual level and a team level. And that's where that mental complexity begins to grow and develop. Hmm. It's interesting. There's almost like when we were first talking about the 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 highest level of development and you're talking about being willing to open the door and say my ideas you know could be not great ideas could be reckless i want to get a lot of participation and the the term that popped in my mind was safety right so if you feel a certain amount of psychological safety like let's say you're a senior leader but not the most senior leader if you know your boss is going to uh, accept the fact that you're 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 taking this participative management style then you're more likely to do that thing versus you're expected to just have all the answers which is lunacy but you know some people feel that way right. right but now what we're saying is now we have to have this confrontation which reduces safety in some cases but that's exactly what i need to develop so it becomes this catch-22 i can't admit that i made a mistake because doing so would make me feel unsafe but if i'm not able to achieve that then i'm not going to grow so i think i can see why this kind of washing machine keeps some leaders stuck at a given developmental level mm -hmm. or afraid of doing something that all leaders must do, in my opinion, which is to extend beyond their comfort zone just at least a little bit in order to try new things, experience new things, fall on your face a little bit. Otherwise, you never grow and you try to, to you start to value safety over growth and then you, you, stagnation is what happens next. Right, right. I've been, you know, speaking of the confrontation, I've been a firm believer that there should be a certain level of tension in every meeting. 
and you, but you need to develop that trust and safety first, right? Before you can have that. But then somebody brings up an idea, there has to be freedom to challenge that idea and talk it through. Yeah. And figure out the best approach. Yeah, I think you, trust is a, a great example of something that can make that possible. It acts almost like a lubricant whenever there's friction. Um, and, and you do have to get to that healthy conflict. There's two types of conflict, right? There's conflict right. that's unhealthy and there's conflict that is healthy. And it's all in the pursuit of what? Nobody wants conflict just for conflict's sake, you, right. usually. The question is, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get better. We're trying to win that customer next time, not you know since we didn't win them this time in your example. One thing, is, I have more of a software background as well, and, and there's a, a, an agile technique that's used quite often, which is called retrospective, where we look, well, we have a, a process or a ceremony where you go through and you say, it, in the military, we would have called it an after action review, right? And it was, what went well? What didn't go so well? And what do we want to change for next time? So in addition to what you're saying about trust, which is more of a, a cultural, social thing that needs to exist for, for that type of thing to happen, you can also, if you're a leader and you're listening and you're thinking, let's go through and, and provide a framework for this type of, of uh, conflict to emerge in a way that's structured, right? Everybody loves talking right. about what went right because something probably went right, even though you didn't win the customer. Let's talk about that. Right. And then let's go ahead and go there. Let's go there with what didn't go so right. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's there's a process that's that's been used for about 30 years now with some organizations called it. They call it a deliberately developmental organization. Mm. And the commitment is that everybody gets deliberate, gets developed in the organization. They don't just focus on the high potential leaders like a lot of organizations do. Real. And because you build that culture of development for everybody, we want everybody to get better, whether you're here a year or whether you're here 20 years. Um, it seems to build a lot of trust within the organization yeah, and I, impacts the bottom line in a very positive way. I like that very much, too, because I, I've always say that every leader is a work in progress, especially the best leaders are have the most progress to make, probably. But uh, it really sets the tone that like we're all working to get better all the time. And even if you are, let's say you're high performing in your current job. Are we assuming that everything's going to be static? Nothing's ever going to change. Your team's not going to change. The environment's not going to change. Of course it's going to change. So you could be a top performer one day and not be the next. So we constantly have to be learning and growing and developing. So I love that, that um, just as I always say, there's leaders at every level of the organization. There can be learning and development at every level, too. I think that really Absolutely. sets a nice tone. I, I like that a lot. It does. Yeah. And uh, and it can be used for coaching, too. So I do some executive coaching and there's a process. It's not easy. It's not without its pain, right? <laughs> but because good coaching isn't without pain, but um, it can be used one-on-one. -on -one. It can be used in group settings. And, um, and I find that it meshes really well with the predictive index tools as well. Yeah, I think the, the predictive index tools, which are all, not all, but uh, the, the flagship offering, of course, is all about behavioral preferences and, and tendencies and, and creating self-awareness. I did a lot of, I've done a lot of work, obviously, with predictive index, but I've also done a lot of work just with coaching in general. And I love that one of the chief roles of a coach is to hold up a mirror, right? Use that independent perspective. Let me tell you what I'm seeing. Are you seeing it this way? Because when we have these blind spots or we have these things that we're just not aware of, it's impossible to try to make change. And that's even just the right. beginning of that process. But I've had coaches in my life. I've studied coaches coaching uh, extensively. And I love that part of it, which is all about an independent perspective and understanding, you know, the, the behavioral 
what's happening and, and, and why it might be and exploring that, putting it on the table and pulling it apart. It's really cool. Yeah, it's great. And it's, it's enjoyable too, to see people grow. Do you think that leaders need to be coaches to their direct reports? Is that something that we should expect of our leaders? And if so, how are they supposed to get good at it? I think it's, it would be preferable. Um, I, you know, and I suppose it depends on the profession too, the type of role and the type of the work style they have. But I've seen a lot of leaders that just don't have time for people. Hmm. You know, they were really good at the job. They got promoted, you know, the old Peter Pan principle, right? But they've never developed an ability to relate to people. And I think, um, so I'll just throw out another phrase. Um, so there's, what I do is a method called the immunity to change method. And it's actually a nine step process. And uh, the first four, you have, you have to identify your one big goal. So everybody has goals. So let's say what would make you a better leader or what would make you a better coach to your team, right? Both of those are kind of go together. So you, you specify the goal and frame it in a positive light, right? Because goals that are phrased negatively are less likely to be accomplished than those that are positive. Well, then you have to identify what you're doing that's interfering with you achieving your goal and what you're not doing that interferes with you achieving your goal. And then you have to, further, you have to explore um, what are your, what are your firmly held beliefs or preconceptions? Like, do you have to be seen as the person always who solves all the problems? Do you always have, do you believe that if you don't do it, it's not gonna get done right? If so, you're probably not a good delegator or a coach, right? So you explore those things and then you have to test those ideas and see if they're true or not in a safe way, obviously where nobody gets hurt, nobody gets fired, um, but test your belief and see if it's right. Hmm. And then that starts, if you see that it's not right, if you see like, I gave this project to my team and I stepped back and they did a better job than I did, could have done. Then you begin to see that, okay, maybe I need to shift things in my own mindset and begin to operate. It's an ongoing process. It's not a once and for all, obviously, because mindset shifts don't just happen with a snap of a finger. But you put things in place like you put a, you put a, a confident, let's call it, someone who will be honest with you and say, hey, you told me this was your goal and you were a real jerk today. So you need people like that in your circle to help you continue on this path. Yeah, definitely. I love that there's a prescriptive path because I think a lot of times it's fairly ambiguous. Like I want to get better at something. I want to get good at the people part of my job. Well, you know, there's no owner's manual for people, unfortunately, but uh, right. there are frameworks, there are tools, there are techniques that can be used. Uh, I think that's what I love about this show is that there's a lot of chances to hear from experts like yourself and figure out like what's out there. What, what are leaders using to, to get better at their craft? It's funny when you were talking about you know, I don't have time for the people part. It's like, well, then mm -hmm. I hope you have time for recruitment because you're going to be talking to a lot of strangers that's when right. your people leave, right? That's that's, that's right. one of the things. And it's, it's our, why don't you have time for the people part? Well, I'm so busy fixing all these mistakes. You're like, well, okay, hold on, time out. <laughs> Let's sharpen the saw here. Let's talk about the people and, and your leadership and are you having the effect you want? You know, if we can make some of those improvements, you're, you're going to find that you'll have a little bit more time. And how could there be a higher priority for a leader than, than his or her people? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you can look at the data too and, and usually the people who push back the hardest have the highest turnover. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I love that you said that there's sort of um, what beliefs do I have and how do I test these beliefs and are they serving me well? That's another thing that I find often. Sometimes you find that the very beliefs that served you well to become a high performing individual contributor are the things that hold you back now that you're a leader of people. You know, you're you're a manager of direct reports or supervisor. So it's like things change. And I think that that yeah. it's hard to let go of things that helped you be successful to a certain point. But that inflexibility is going to uh, limit you and your performance in a very different role context. So it's fascinating stuff. It is. And I think the higher you get, the harder it is to admit that maybe I'm not perfect. Yeah. 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 Rare, the air gets pretty thin at the top of some organizations. That's for sure. Yeah. So I know that um, we've been talking a lot about education. You are an educator. I want to shift yes. gears on you here a little bit. So I know that you're an, an adjunct professor at uh, Grand Canyon University, right? I mentioned that at the top. So it, it, it is a variety show that I do here. So I, I, I wrote a game for you that I call Back to School. Back to School. Okay. And uh, these are uh, real courses, the names of real courses, and they're worth real college credit. But I'm going to tell you the name of a course, William. And I'm going to ask you whether that's a course that's offered at Grand Canyon University oh, no. or perhaps at some other school. Okay. It's going okay. to be awesome. I can't wait for this. All right. So the first one is Acquiring, Developing, and Leveraging Human Capital. Is that a course offered at GCU? It sounds like one they would offer. I'm going to say yes. It is. Ding, ding. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. All right. See, we're out of the gate. We're doing great. All right. The second one, tree climbing. I'm going to say no, not at GCU. <laughs> Correct. Ding, ding. Another one. That one is actually offered at Cornell, Cornell oh, University. Wow. How about uh, marketing and revenue generation in the golf industry? Yes. Yes, it is. GCU. Perfect. Three for they three. They have a big golf team, so I know that. Ah, there you go. So you got insider information. Uh, how about this one? How to watch television? No, not at GCU. No, it's not. <laughs> it's at Montclair State University. I think I must have majored in that wow. when I was a kid, but uh, it didn't serve wow. me well in college. True. Okay, here's one. Cow to cone, ice cream short course. Cow to cone, an ice cream short course. They run their own hotel and their own restaurant, oh. so they have a culinary school. I'm going to say yes. Oh, no. Actually, I missed that was, it. Yeah, that was, that was actually at Penn State. But maybe, they oh, can, okay. maybe you can get like transfer credits or something. Oh, my. Uh, I got one more here. Uh, dance pedagogy. So teaching dance. Oh. Dance pedagogy. I'll say, yeah, GC. It is GCU, man. I got to tell you, the catalog at GCU is extensive, hundreds yes. of pages. I, I dug deep to try to find these and stump you, and I can't do it. I got the last one for you, last one for you. The physics of Star Trek. I'm going to say not GCU. <laughs> you got it. Not GCU. It's Santa Clara University. So okay. There you go. You did amazing. That was awesome. Yeah, so yeah. lots of great college courses, and thanks for playing back to school with me. Oh. Thanks for the questions. That was fun. <laughs> so, William, just in getting us wrapped up here, where can my listeners go to learn more about you and connect with you? You can go to my website, which is williamcroy.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, and I'm on Locals at learnleadtransformoneword.locals.com. Perfect. I will include those links in the show notes and in the episode description as well. So, listeners, you don't have to go too far to find William Roy and connect with him and uh Really can't thank you enough, William, for coming on the show today. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge all about leadership development. Really appreciate having you. I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. Thank you very much, Matt.
Here are my perfectly cromulent top three takeaways from today's episode. One, leaders lead. When you get the right leaders on the bus and develop them to reach their full potential, the organization's objectives manifest naturally. Two, practice what they teach. Training and development won't stick if you're not practicing and applying the lessons every day. Three, don't fear the right friction. Constructive confrontation requires troubleshooting business issues down to the personal cause of the problem while framing the discomfort as a learning and growth opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. There's some people that, you know, it's just casual, right? But there's always one or two that you make a really good close connection with. And work just wouldn't be tolerable sometimes without those people.